Carrie went up into the bedroom, you know, just normal getting ready for bed and pulled back the sheets. And there was, you know, a large kitchen knife uh, wedged between the bed frame and the mattress. That was kind of the starting of uh, realizing that um, there was more to the story than we knew. After completing an MFA and producing for TV and film, Mark Pedry moved back to his hometown of Rock Springs, Wyoming, into his late grandfather's empty home with his wife, Carrie. She was like, you know, is this a joke? Like, what is this thing? I mean, has somebody else been staying here? Was it like cousins pranking us or something? It just didn't make sense at all that it would have been him that had had a knife in the bed. And that really kind of shook me, too, because it it just challenged this perception of the, the person who I based so much of who I was on. On this episode of That Doesn't Happen Every Day, in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day, we go with Mark and Carrie on a journey to find out more about Mark's grandpa Silvio and the things that had happened to him more than 5,000 miles away from his home in Rock Springs. He seemed like a private person, and if he wanted you to know something, he would bring it up, or, or so we thought. Unlike many of us who never knew our grandfathers, Mark grew up in a house right across the street from his. He was kind of the authority in my life. I worked for him every day. He had a mobile home park, so he he showed my brother and my cousin and I, you know, kind of like light maintenance. He was our boss, and he was a tough boss. So we respected him for the authority that he was. You know, if we got in trouble or something at school, we were more worried about what he would say than what our parents would say. He was that type of figure in, in my life. So I guess... Seeing that knife was the thing that really kind of, you know, hit me in the face and said, you got to look into this. I went into his office and sat down and just decided, okay, uh, who was this person that I thought I knew? Mark's need to re-examine who his grandfather was led to a photo album. Well, right off the bat, I think the photos that I focused on most were my grandpa Silvio as a soldier, you know, shirt off, holding, you know, the big machine gun, cigar hanging out of his friend's mouth, you know, just like these iconic kind of take you back in time photos. Sure enough, you know, the, you look and that was my grandpa there. I had known that my grandpa was in World War II. We were driving around and I kind of just like asked him, you know, what, what was it like over there? He was just, you know, completely quiet, looking straight forward in the truck. And he just picked up his fist you know, kind of like something happened that he'll never be able to change. And he hit the steering wheel just just gently. And then he, he started to, you know, you could tell that he was effective. He he didn't break down and, and cry outright, but I knew that he was just really holding in something. And he never answered the question. And that was that was the last time that I tried to pry into what that experience was for him. He wasn't ready to share it, or he didn't know how to. So his version of sharing it was was just that gesture and, and that very thoughtful um, silence. So slowly over time, um, we just gave him space. But we always knew that there was something there. Mark's drive to learn about his grandfather through what was left in his office unearthed the Purple Heart Medal, dog tags, a German belt buckle, and other artifacts and papers from World War II. Mark and Carrie's interest extended so far as to find the morning reports and after-action reports of Silvio's unit in Europe. That allowed us to really pinpoint the exact place that my grandpa was uh, on a day-to-day basis. And all of that led up to um, kind of where where that information would have gone dark for us, and that's 
on the night that he was captured. In his interview, Mark mentioned that his grandfather's truck had POW license plates. So Mark knew that his grandpa had been a POW. However, Mark points out that being aware of something is very different than knowing what it was actually like. These things, they don't, they don't really make sense until I think you have a personal connection to them. One of the keys to finding out what exactly Sylvia went through was a small white piece of paper they found in his office. When he was liberated, somebody handed him a, a British Red Cross card. And on the back, and I think this was a common thing because we found a number of these, it's just a list of every town or camp that they passed through. So we had the list of these camps in the order. So we at least had a starting point. So what do you do when you have an advanced film degree and a passion to learn about some of your grandfather's most difficult experiences that he never talked about? In Mark's case, he and Carrie boarded a plane for France and started work on a documentary to retrace all of the places Silvio had been in Europe. They even shipped their bicycles there and used those as their primary source of transportation while filming. The bicycles were a huge part of telling this story because the story was really about trying to get closer to this man who I thought I knew so well. If I were to just get in a car and, and kind of drive quickly, um, you know, the distance, uh, 500 miles, you could do that in a day if you really wanted to. And I knew that if I did it in a day, I would be missing out on the whole point of being there, which is really trying to get closer to this experience of this man who, you know, I shared so much silence with. The film that Mark made, Dear Sirs, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, is full of footage of Carrie and himself riding around in rain gear as it snows and rains on them in France and Germany. We were there during the same time of year that he was there, so that was important to to know how cold it was, even knowing that, you know, it was so much colder and, and so much worse for him. But going during the spring with the flowers, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it would feel far too wholesome to, I think, put myself in the headspace of, you know, contemplating his experience. The filmmaker's first main stop was on the banks of the Moselle River outside of Metz, France. It's a deep river. So when you look down into the water, you can't see the bottom. After maybe the first, you know, six inches or a foot out into the river, um, the ground just kind of disappears into this ink black, kind of swirling, cold, mysterious abyss, really. In November of 1944, Silvio and a few other companies of men crossed the river in small boats. When you're staring out from the place where they crossed, there's a church on the other side, across the field. And the steeple, I remember as it started to warm up a little bit in the day, that steeple slowly revealed itself through the fog. And I remember reading in some of the after-action reports and the morning reports that they used that steeple as a way to gauge where they were. But it was also the place where the Germans had made as one of their kind of strongholds. So it was, you know, also a very threatening and imposing landmark. The plan had been that the troops Silvio was with, who had crossed the river by boat, would serve as a distraction for the Germans who were occupying Metz across the river until a bridge could be assembled further upriver. And then this smaller force that Silvio was with would be supported by artillery in larger numbers. It seemed like a great plan on paper, but what happened was that uh, the weather did not cooperate. The river swelled and flooded. They had, you know, record rainfall, and that prevented them from building the bridgehead to the north. So the small 
group of people were able to cross the river, but the large group with the artillery uh, was delayed. So they, they had to dig in to their foxholes. The German army was right there. At that point, they were involved in four days of, you know, you're in the farmer's field and the enemy is in the farmer's house. Meanwhile, the rain is still continuing to fall. It's November, so it's cold. You're sleeping in, in a, a hole full of water. And throughout that, um, casualties were really starting to add up. Uh, morale was was dipping down pretty low because at this point they felt like no one was coming to, to, to save them. They were kind of out there on their own. My grandpa had developed severe trench foot. So you know, essentially the skin in, in his uh, foot was, was rotting from exposure to, to this water. And he was also injured. We're not sure if it was shrapnel or, or if he was shot in the foot, but from what we can tell in the documents, um, just said that he was severely injured. He took off his boot uh, to try to, you know, evaluate the inju- injury, and his foot swelled up so big that there was no way that he would ever get the boot back on. They decided to leave the forest and make a run for this village, the village of Imeldange. And they ran across the field, made it into one of the barns, and uh, the German unit arrived, and they started at one end of the town and just started torching every house. So they could hear them coming. By this point, they were out of ammunition, um, really had had nothing to fight back with, and several of them were captured, uh, including my grandpa. And when he was captured, they were forced to hand over their overshoes because these were very valuable pieces of equipment that the German soldiers wanted for themselves. So when my grandpa handed over his overshoes, he didn't have anything left on that foot. So at that point, he was just wearing a sock. Given the shape of Silvio's foot, he was eventually taken to a prisoner of war hospital that Mark and Carrie also visited. While the hospital was now being converted into apartments for anyone to live in, what happened to Silvio and the other POWs there might make some buyers and tenants think twice. Essentially, their their method of treatment was, if it looks like it's injured, we're just going to cut it off. Quite a dark place, and the soldiers with their dark humor they nicknamed this hospital it was called heppenheim and they nicknamed it uh hippity hop because of um you know so many people lost limbs and, and legs and they would have to hop around on crutches i was seeing it for the suffering that took place there and i was really you know grabbing for those details that brought me closer to the experience that my grandfather had there thankfully uh he did not lose his foot. The The records that we were able to get from that hospital indicate that he resisted an amputation and they sort of just, you know, said, well, okay, if you don't want medical care, then go back to your room and you can heal on your own. So they sort of just left him um, neglected. Luckily, Silvio's foot did heal enough for him to walk, but this meant he was forced to work at a different camp where he had to sort metal and even lay railroad track Given the severe shortages that were being experienced during the war, he was never given a new boot or shoe. That was one thing. They never gave him a new boot. So he's finding rags and, and different things like this to wrap his foot in um, while being you know, put on these work details of hard labor and being out there with, with one you know, torn up boot and, and the other just uh, rags. He limped the rest of his life and uh, that swelling never went down. So... If you looked at any of his shoes, even, you know, in in his 80s, um, one of them, the ankle was severely kind of wallowed out from having that. As the Allies started to push further into Germany, um, they evacuated the camp and moved 
all of the prisoners um, into camps further into Germany. And he was put on a train and sent north uh, to a camp near Hamburg. Allied pilots weren't always aware of what was inside of the trains they were shooting at as they crossed through Germany. The train Silvio and the other POWs were on was strafed as it headed to Stalag 10B in northern Germany. Stalag 10B mostly held POWs from the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, people that the Nazi regime held in a very low regard and treated even worse than they did the American prisoners. During its operation, thousands of people died there, mostly from starvation and disease and harsh treatment by the guards. After weeks of filming and riding their bicycles, Mark and Carrie arrived there too. Stalag 10B in Sandbossel kind of held the darkest moments of this story. Coming up to the camp for the first time, I think it was it was shocking to see how much of the original camp was still intact. It was almost as if, you know, architecturally no time had passed. Um, seeing the, the barracks still there, lined up in the open field, and it was, everything was wet. It had been raining and snowing and uh, the type of snow that kind of melts as soon as it hits the ground. So everywhere just had this cold, wet feeling. And you can hear, you know, water dripping off through the ceiling into the, the, the vacant rooms. It was a very slow feeling, a slow approach. Uh, I think partially because I wasn't, you know, maybe ready to experience it, even though so much had been leading up to that. I think you're never really ready. And just seeing it, feeling it, smelling it, all of these different senses. There's nothing like, you know, going somewhere in person, especially when you have, you know, such a deliberate reason for being there. Things got even worse at the Stalag when control of the camp was transferred from the German army to the SS, and over 9,000 people from the Neuengamme concentration camp were taken to Stalag 10B. There they continued to be starved and treated as less than human. While POWs did attempt to help the concentration camp prisoners as much as they were permitted, the scene that many of them saw was described as everywhere the dead and dying lay sprawled in the slime of human excrement. The stories were so dark. You know, every morning he would wake up And there was a wagon in which they would collect the bodies of people that that didn't make it through the night. And um, it didn't really make sense to me that that was his life for weeks and months. Not just one time. It wasn't just, I saw this thing happen one time, but, you know, a sustained existence where, you know, you start to question, is this just what my life is like now? I live in this place where this is what happens. You know, I I think that that for me, that was the moment where I I knew that I would never really be able to understand his experience. On the 29th of April, 1945, English troops liberated the camp and Sylvia was given the white piece of paper from the Red Cross where he wrote the list of sites where he had been. Ironically, after the liberation, members of the SS were then held as prisoners at Sam Basel. I, I felt like I knew him better after going through this experience. I, I'll still never know how he didn't seem vengeful. He didn't seem like he held grudges against people. Uh, you know, I obviously never asked him whether or not he held a grudge against um, the Germans, but he did have a cuckoo clock in his house, which is like the most German thing I can possibly imagine. And it's a cuckoo clock, so it goes off every half an hour and reminds you that it's there. I don't think I would have a reminder of 
uh, of that hanging on my wall that made noise. He was extremely patriotic, even at, you know, like a house where you're watching the Super Bowl or something and, and everyone's kind of talking and eating. And then the national anthem comes on and he would just stand up uh, even late in his life when he could hardly walk, take his hat off. You'd look over and he would have tears in his eyes. I want to make sure to thank Mark for making his documentary and for sharing it with all of us, as well as for his interview. Please watch Mark Pedry's film about his grandfather's ordeal. It's called Dear Sirs. It'll be on Wyoming PBS June 6th at 7 p.m. on your local PBS channel or via the live stream on PBS's website. You can also visit dearsirsfilm.com slash screenings. It's linked in the description for a list of upcoming in-person and virtual screenings. I'm asking everyone to please support Mark and watch Dear Sirs because it is a Wyoming film made by a Wyoming filmmaker. And in telling his grandfather's story, he's also serving to preserve and share a part of all of our histories here in Wyoming and beyond. If you're listening to this podcast on the radio and would like to hear more episodes, please just do a search for That Doesn't Happen Every Day. Every day is two words in this case, podcast. And you can listen to every episode I've ever made completely for free. I hope you have a great day and I should have a new story for you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Thanks.